Amen. All right, we are Romans chapter 9. We've been kind of funny, jokingly saying you're going to meet some different people. Uh, We meet Jesus, we meet uh, grace, we meet faith. We, We were introduced to hope last week. Uh, today I'm gonna meet, I'm gonna introduce you to a new guy and a new gal. You're gonna meet Will and Gloria this morning. I didn't wasn't sure what to do with Mercy. Yeah, it's, nobody's really named Mercy ever, so that's not really a lady, is it? Anybody know anybody named Mercy? You did a pig. Pigs don't count. In fact, they're unclean animals. What are you doing? My goodness. All right, so uh, this morning, uh, Romans chapter 9 is a little, it's a little bit thick, uh, and we're going to have some fun with it, uh, but it has multiple concepts going on in it, and, and really it's about mercy, will, and glory, uh, kind of in that order, and we want to get through it and kind of understand how is this complicated intellectual guy like Paul um, understanding his faith, and, and maybe I'll give us a picture into our own. Amen? Amen. Let's get started. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What's all this sadness about? For those of you who have missed the first eight chapters, or maybe you just missed the last couple chapters, uh, Paul's been making this argument about how uh, our relationship with the Lord is not based on bloodline. It's based on faith. It's based on decisions God has made about us, made about you, uh, even to create you, how he designed you, uh, how he's gifted you. All of those things determine our relationship with him, not who our daddy was or where great grandma was born. Uh, bloodline and those kind of things and the law of Jewish culture uh, they were kind of the reigning factor up until that point. Well, Christ comes on the scene, says, oh, I'm kind of, kind of fulfilling the law and abolishing the law at the same time. Really what we're doing is we're setting up a whole new system, and Paul's trying to explain the new system. The new system is based on, do you have faith? Do you believe who God is and what he's capable of? And that uh, not only do you have a shot at it, uh, but actually, you're you're invited to it. Called last uh, week, he, he it says you were predestined, foreknown, called, gifted, and glorified. Uh, that that means intense planning on God's part for ha- for you. You're a part of everything He wants to do, rather than just you know you say we got a shot at you know everybody's got a shot. How many people get access to Jesus? All right, but if to, if you say you've just got a shot at it. It's kind of like you're way over here and God's over there and boy, it's, it's a long shot. Maybe that wasn't the design or how, how'd I end up so far over here and he's so far over there? Well, Paul's saying it's now. Nah. You can look at it that way if you, if you think of it in terms of uh, sin and God's perfection and our depravity. Or you can think about it in terms of God's heart and God's mind where he's right next to you Kind of knocking you on the head. Hey, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Arm around you, pulling on your, your waistband or something. Just, let's go. Let's be together. And that's what he's making the argument for. Now, in making that argument, what's he doing to Jewish culture? He's saying, uh, we're kind of throwing out all those rules. 
and what he's implying is that a lot of Jewish people will miss the Messiah. They will miss the message. Uh, they'll be stuck in their pursuit of their accomplishments, their ability to follow the law, uh, their lineage, all those kind of things. Uh, just like we do as Gentiles. What, what, who are we? What's our status? What are we capable of? That kind of stuff. How much do we make? What do we drive? What's our hair look like? Do we have hair? All that stuff. And Paul says, no, that's not it. There's a new game, but in the new game, there are a lot of people that are going to miss it. In fact, he's going to say it outright in uh, about 10, 12 verses. A lot of people are going to miss it. And now he's saying, and now I don't, I don't necessarily want it to be that way. I don't want a lot of Jews to miss out, but they're going to miss out because they're still stuck in the old pattern. Uh, it is a great microcosm, a uh, great theme for our own lives. Uh, anybody Jewish in here? No, probably not. But we get stuck in our old patterns rather than jumping into a new system. And when you do that, you can miss out. And that makes Paul sick. I would hate for people to miss out. I'd love to take their place so that they don't miss out because they don't know what they're missing. Right? So that's the gist of why he's saying that. First three verses. Verse four. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption. Great phrase. Um, couldn't it be like kinship or lineage or whatever? Why, why would adoption be a cool word there to use? If he's making an argument that everybody gets in, even those outside the bloodline, then adoption is a more inclusive term for us. We like adoption a lot better than lineage, don't we? Adoption belongs to them. They were not his people, but God came to Abraham and said, you're going to be. Right? You weren't, but you're going to be. Uh, salvation message, by the way. Pretty cool. So that's how adoption happened for them. The glory belongs to them too. The covenants, all the different covenants that w went through time and different uh, people that God came to and made promises to. The giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So all these things started with the Jews. So are, are they left out? No, they still have this great heritage. To them, verse 5, belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen? We need the Jews. We need Jewish heritage. We need that culture. We need, actually, the law, Paul would argue, to understand our current state of faith, of the value of it. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Why would he say it has failed? Have you set up this big old system and you got the law and the temple and you got all, all these you know, patriarchs and stuff and you got all these covenants and you got the Ten Commandments and all this history and boy, if God set that whole thing up and then he just changed the game with Jesus? Was the first set, was that a failure? Well, what is it? How do we think about it differently then? Rather than a failure, what was it? We're going to do interactive portion of the morning. Welcome. To Rock Bible Church for Christ Center, biblically based, compelling, casual community. How are you going to explain it on the street when someone asks you and I'm not there? And here's the deal. If I'm there, you know what I'm going to do? I'm like, that's a great question, Judy. Go ahead, tell them. I'm going to back out of the way. See how you do, right? Rather than a failure, what will we call it? Learning curve, Okay.
Uh, it's a mirror of a way to look at it and see him. A setting. A setup. Yeah, how do you know what's right and wrong if, you know, if no one ever tells you? Right? If you don't have a law to tell you what's right and wrong, you won't have the answer, right? But I love the word you were used at the beginning of that. Preparation. It was preparation. Setting us up to be able to receive. Right? Uh, you ever walk out and run a marathon? No, you train for a long time, right? Preparation. Now all of a sudden the marathon is a better event. Right? It's meant to be preparation. Uh, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's a rough statement. Uh, made by an Israelite, by the way. And not all children of Abraham, uh, not are all children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. What? There's a, there's, he's going to do a little complex argument here. He's saying there, that uh, offspring come from the promise that God made to Abraham about Isaac, not because Abraham had Isaac and this lineage created, and then, they, and then he kind of just said, oh, well, let's just go with that. No, it's God's plan prior, right? For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return. Sarah shall have a son. This is what God said to Abraham about Isaac. And not only... So, but also when Rebekah, the son, Isaac's wife, when she had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Two predictions. What's the value of the prediction? Well, there's many. One is you get to see the value of God's uh, plan. You get to see God's power and ability. You got to see God's inclusion of us in his plan. But also, Paul's argument here, when you have predictions like that, we start to understand that being an offspring of God, being belonging to God, is a decision that he has made before people are even born. I have a plan you have been elected. This is a choice I've made about you. I love that. That makes me feel so much better. Zero sarcasm. Full heart and head in this. That God has made decisions about me before I was born, before my parents were born, before my grandparents were born, uh, before there were adoptions in my family, before someone needed a pacemaker. God's made decisions about all those things. What kind of decisions? Say good good decisions love that now I can walk with hope calmer right? it's not just about where I'm from or who I've been she was told verse 12 the older will serve the younger that was the prediction as it is written Jacob, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated what shall we say then is there injustice on God's part? Why, why, would there, why, would, why would he ask that question? It was a Socratic question going along with his argument. He's presented the idea that someone would be chosen and someone would not be chosen for the lineage or whatever, the promise. Is that unfair? We would never say it that way. We would say, that's not fair. 
right? Is that an injustice? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Whoa. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Will. Will comes straight from God. And Will shows up to whoever he wills. That's not our choice. Now, that's a rough set of sentence, phrases right there, right? One sentence, two phrases. Uh, God wills to whom he wills, and he has compassion on who he decides to have compassion. What, what's that mean? God gets to make the decision. Period. It's outside of our hands. What's the fearful question that develops within your, your inner dialogue? It's, does Will like me? Will, will I get his will? I'd like some of the compassion. Hey God, what's your decision about me? It's, that's a heavy question. Well, how do we find the answer to that? So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has what? Mercy. Look at the top of your outline. Is that our verse? So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. Is that it? It's not it. No, it's a different one. Okay, very much similar. Uh, if, it, if it depends on God and not our exertion, we got to figure out how that plays out. For the scripture says, verse 17, to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why did he raise up Pharaoh? To show who, I want to show everybody who I am. I need a combatant. I need a foe. I need an antagonist. I need someone to try and stop me so that I can show the world what I'm capable of. That's why I raised him up. Is it weird to think that God raised up Pharaoh in that way to push back against God? It's a little rough. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. You will say to me then, well, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Wait, if he's predestining everything, if he's determining everything and made decisions about those ahead of time, then why could he get mad at somebody for doing this or that or the other, choosing A or over B because that was part of his will? He did give us a choice, didn't he? But I mean, logically, it's a good argument that Paul makes. So how, how could he find fault with us? I mean, or who could resist his will, right? And he asked that question right after the example of Pharaoh, who resisted God's will as far as to what is good, as to who Pharaoh was going to be. But he was in line with God's will for what God's purpose was of showing who he was and power and ten plagues and his ability to overcome him and deliver his people and part the sea and all that kind of stuff. So was he was Pharaoh resisting God's will or with God's will? He was both, right? Wasn't he? Paul's going to say, wait, 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 who are you? Verse 20, oh man, to answer back to God. 
Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Oh, what a great question for the 21st century. Why, why do you make me like this? I mean, this is the question of our, our whole teenage generation. All the perfect kids that we have are asking the question, why am I like this? What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. Get over yourselves. You're exactly the way God designed you to be. Amen. Now, let's go do something. Let's go have fun. Let's accomplish something. Let's serve someone. Let's, what, what, let's go be a blessing. But no, they're stuck. My hair's too long, or it's not wavy enough, or I wish it was straighter. That kills me. Ladies, what is, what is the deal with that? Straight, straight hair want curly hair, and curly hair wants straight hair. What's the deal? Buy two wigs. Swap them out. I don't get it. What's wrong with that? Why has he made you like this? What, so that you could battle with all the things you think are important, and maybe eventually come to the determination that God's more important than all of it. He could solve the difference between straight and curly. And you find out after it's solved, one, who God is, and that straight, straight and curly didn't matter. Right? You worry about your hair too much, you'll take it away. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Right? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use one for honorable use and one for dishonorable use oh what a horrid question now uh, sneaks into my head what's what's the question in scott's head right now what's <laughs> no 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 it's how do i keep all of these people from knowing that i'm for dishonorable use <laughs> that's the one that sneaks into my head right we always do. we default to the negative, but Paul actually comes out and says, "Hey, you know, some of you were you were made for dishonorable use. Is it, you think does that feel right? It doesn't quite feel right for me, and I think something's lost here in translation. I think a better understanding for this is sometimes sometimes we do honorable things, like important things, like some some days your baby's born." Man, that's an honorable day. We're going to mark that day every year. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to give gifts to the kid for the, the kid that did nothing on his birthday. And we're going to ignore mom who did all the work on that day. That's backwards. Anybody figured that one out yet? Because I, 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 I call my mom. I, I don't wait for my mom to call me on my birthday. And I've told her over and over again for about five years. I figured out about five years ago. Mom, this was your day. I was barely breathing. I didn't do anything, right? Uh, those are those kind of fun, honorable, you know, you win the championship kind of day. Then there's other days. You know what the other days are? It's a normal day. You get up, eat your breakfast, you, you get in the car, you go to work or whatever it is that you do. Uh, the car breaks down or whatever, or you go buy lunch, you come home, you clean something, maybe you make some dinner, somebody calls, uh, you do some laundry and go to bed. Brush your teeth in there a few times. Hey, what'd you do yesterday? And your answer would be nothing. No, you did a ton of stuff. You just did regular, normal stuff. Those things have value? Absolutely. Try showing up somewhere, uh, dirty clothes and unbrushed teeth. How's that going to go? All of a sudden, that stuff has value. 
right? This is more about there's some days, some, sometimes we do special important things and other days we just do normal. We do regular. The other thing's funny about this is, by the way, whose standard of measure are we using for honorable and dishonorable or important and normal or regular? Really? Because mine's different than Resty's. Linda has a different one than both of us. We all have different ideas of what's regular and what's special. Right? I see a nice play where the guy's not offsides and he scores, and then the rest of you are like, oh, can we change the channel? And I'm like, wait, no, wait, we're gonna, there's going to be a replay. They're going to show it from three angles. Then they're going to talk about it. Now I've got to watch the other guy talk about it, and I've got to see what happens at You're like, No. That's just regular stuff. There's 8,000 soccer go- games going on at any time in the, in the world. Why is this one that important? It's not. How many gets, goals get scored in a year? Who knows? Nobody cares, right? Less than 1% of the population, maybe. I got a different standard of measure. And here's what we need, we need to start understanding. I think in God's economy, the way Paul would, would argue it, if he were going to elaborate on this, uh, some people's regular needs to be more honorable to us. And our regular is honorable. It just kind of depends on your perspective. What's the inner dialogue going on in your head? Are you in a good mood or a bad mood? Right? What, what's going on? Paul's point is, hey, you know what? God has a plan, and in that plan, there's good days and there's normal days. And you're going to be a part of both. And sometimes you're going to get the accolades and you get to stand up in front of the stage and talk about things and pick the sermon title and maybe that's your honorable day, right? And then there's other times where you sit in the crowd and you enjoy and you think about it. Maybe take a note, maybe not. But why would we argue with God about those things? Because the honorable and the regular both have value. What if God... Love this. This is the verse that precedes the one I put on your outline. Okay? This is the thought that comes before it. What if God, and what a great question. What if? No, he's going to pose a scenario. You're going to decide whether that'd be a good scenario or not. And when we're done posing the scenario, we're going to go back to the what if, and I'm going to ask you now, was he actually saying what if? Or is he saying you might need to think that this is the way it is because this is the way it is. Right? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Um, Who are they, by the way? Any guesses? How about just us? We're going to find out we're the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Okay? And he's been very patient with us, waiting. In order to show his power and his glory and his wrath. Right? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. We're going to go from being vessels of wrath to vessels of mercy. Destined for one thing, and God's going to say, no, I'm going to be merciful towards you. That's a cool distinction. Which he has prepared beforehand for what? 
glory. What if, what if that was his plan? What if I want you to be able to see how bad it can get and how the law won't work and lineage isn't that important either and sometimes you're special and sometimes you're regular and what if I'm setting you up with all of that stuff so that you could see what you could have got and I'm going to give you even better. We're going to call it mercy. Me being merciful to you with the trajectory of eventually getting you to where you meet glory. You have life full and complete. Lacking in nothing. Joy made full. What if that was the plan? You think, think Paul's really asking us what if that might be the plan? Or do you think he's saying, this is how it works, folks. This is how it works. Even us. Verse 24. Even us. Okay, now how do we know that we were the wrath, uh, wrath vessels destined for destruction? Because he says, verse 24, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call, what? My people. And her who was not beloved, I will call, what? Beloved. God says, just like that, so are you. You are beloved. You are his people. You get mercy. And you're destined for glory. Great promises. uh, That originally belonged to the Jews and now they're shared with us. Very cool. Verse 26, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, covenant to Abraham, covenant to Isaac, covenant to Jacob. Just, hey, your, your descendants will outnumber the sand of the sea. And, and Isaiah says, yeah, but even if you have that many descendants, only a remnant of them will be saved. Ouch. We're going to save a sliver. Cup cup of sand that's it for the lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay i'm, I'm thinking it's good that paul quoted isaiah there rather than coming up with it and making his own statement but now he can blame isaiah and as isaiah predicted if the lord of hosts had not left us offspring we would have been like sodom and become like gomorrah Story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God says, hey, there's just no saving them. I'm just going to wipe them out. And that's what he does. Lot's wife turns around, looks, and she gets wiped out too, right? Pillar Saul. Uh, Verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness and did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Are we saying that those outside the faith, because they decided to have faith, they get in, they get righteousness, and those that have been pursuing their righteousness for generations... 
they miss out? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. It just doesn't work that way. We're back to his chapter 3 argument. Right? They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Uh, Paul is making his argument, and in doing so, he, he's quoting Genesis, he's quoting Exodus, he's quoting Hosea, he's quoting Isaiah, multiple. He's quoting all over the place to make an argument for us to see the big picture. How does this thing really work? And I, and I love that uh, although he's talking about all these ancient books in what was current time for him, all of that really translate over to modern day. I mean, you can hear, it's screaming of psychological issues going on in, in modern culture. It's screaming of entitlement, materialism, all these things that we're dealing with. And, and most of all, it, it's screaming of the most important issue humankind has ever dealt with negatively. It is the questioning of God. Not what God's done, not his history, or whether you like how he thinks. It, it's us as individuals, when we turn and we question God, the clay saying to the potter, mm, I don't think so. And that's the biggest problem. As long as you have that problem, you don't get to be part of will, you don't get to meet will, you don't receive mercy, and glory is out of reach. It started very, very back at the very beginning. Eve. Did God really say? Yeah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to try this. Hey, Adam, do as you're told. Okay. How about prior to that? Prior to Adam and Eve. What was prior to Adam and Eve? Ha, Satan. You call him Satan. I don't think so. I'm going to go do my own thing. And it has been the theme of humankind and those that were meant to follow, designed to follow God from then until now. There's people that say, yes, I'm going to follow. And then there's people that say, mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. What's this, what's this chapter trying to help, help us understand functionally? Uh, one is this. Mercy is his will, not ours. It's not earned. Mercy is his will, it's not earned. I love uh, what it says in there about uh, not on human will or exertion. You see that? Verse 15, it says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Verse 16, he says, so it depends not on human will or exertion, but God who has mercy. That's what it depends on. Verse 18 He's going to have mercy on whoever he wills. It's an important distinction. Because no matter how hard you try, no matter hard, how hard you chase it, you cannot earn it. So what are you left with? What are you left with? You're left with who you actually are. 
you're left with how God has actually made you. You know, that question, oh, why have you made me like this? Right? Uh, verse 21 says this. One vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. You know what, though? What we really want to see is verse 23. The progression of that thought. And that's the verse that you have at the top there. This idea that which has been prepared beforehand for glory. You see, your use, your use leads to glory. Do your use. If it's God's will only and He's gonna He's gonna bestow it on whoever He wills, there's there's it's really gonna be difficult for you to get full assurance. I love the way Gino talks about it. Like when you start talking theology with Gino, he's, he's, Gino calls it the fifty-one rule, fifty-one percent. If I'm if I'm fifty-one percent sure, then that's uh, that's going to be enough for me because that's that's about as good as I, I might ever get. And if that's as, if that's as good as it gets, then then you you got to start picking your steps, regardless. Well, I want to wait till I get like ninety-four percent. I want to get into the B range, not or the A range. I don't want A minus range. I don't want ninety three percent. I want once I get to ninety four percent assured that this is what God wants, then I'll take the next step. Or you're missing out on your use then. And you'll be amazed at I think what you call regular use or dishonorable use, normal use, and finding out later that it turns out to be honorable use. Or things that you thought were tremendous and glorious and no one comments on it. No one remembers it. It was great for you. For everybody else, it was normal. But start pursuing those things and, and reaping the benefits. Getting the understanding of how God is working. You know, the idea of if God is waiting patiently for the vessels of wrath, why don't you wait with them? See what he's waiting on. Once you put the, the man hours, the time in, the elbow grease, the steps, put, put time in, let, let it pass for a while as, as you just keep doing your thing and, and watch what he builds, draws out of it, forms. And here's, here's as I was reading through this and thinking, here's something that kind of stuck with me. Paul calls it vessels, right? He says vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, later vessels of glory. Um, why Vessels. You could have been beings. You could have been sons, children, offspring. He used that. He didn't continue to use it. He goes with vessels. What's a vessel? What is the chief function of a vessel? Hold something. Does a vessel... I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch this one. You've got to really follow me on this one. Is a vessel designed usually just in one place to hold something in one place and then it only gets used in that one place? Or vessels are designed to hold something and what? Portable, carry it, deliver. And see, now we're back into use. What are you carrying? What are you delivering? If you're a vessel, normal or honorable, what's the trajectory? What's the destination? What is the value of what you carry? 
Paul's going to get into that. He's going to start getting into it more in next chapter and, and going on. Uh, we carry the most valuable thing there is. Knowledge of God. Let him who boasts. Does God like boasting, by the way? Does he like pride and ego and stuff? No, pride cometh before the... Right, yeah, just if you want to crash, just get proud. It'll, it'll happen, right? Uh, but he does say in one, he, one spot, he says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. God speaking about us. You want to boast, uh, boast in this? One thing, you know me. That's what we carry. Right? A duty likes to say we carry kingdom. Right? We bring kingdom with us everywhere we go. Now, there is no normal use, folks. There's no regular use. There's no dishonorable use. There's everywhere you are, whatever you're doing, bring in kingdom. Right? If you're dealing with the contractors and such, you're trying to figure out why there's water in your dining room and how to get there from the swimming pool filter. Oh. Twice this week. Because we didn't know the first time it was the filter. So we were trying to, we couldn't find the water source. I mean, uh, in those moments, how you're talking to those people in your heightened state of agitated, you're a vessel. You're carrying something, right? What's your use? And is it leading you towards glory? All right, lastly, believe in Jesus and his will for your use. If, if it really is just about God and He will will what He wills on whom He wills, ask Him. Ask Him for His will. Ask Him for compassion. It's a great last line quote. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. As it is written, Paul saying, you know, I'm not coming up with this stuff. This has been around forever. Here's what you do. Believe in Him and you will not be put to shame. It's a negative way of saying, believe in Him and you will eventually do glory. Not shame, glory. It begs the question, what do, you, what do you need to believe him for? I mean, maybe you have uses that are in question right now. Maybe your role as vessel in certain scenarios is in question right now. Uh, a holding pattern, maybe you're in holding pattern. That's my le- one of my least favorite ones, by the way, when I've experienced holding pattern. Right? I'm banging against the walls and throwing things but what are we believing him for in those times maybe your question was a psychological one from earlier in the chapter why did you make me this way man you you need to be real careful with that question Because there's two ways to say that question with the exact same words and have totally different meaning. Why did you make me this way? It's a negative, right? How do you say that positively? Why did you make me this way? 
God? There, there's an optimistic way to look at that question. Maybe that's your thing today. Believing in Him for your use. I'm dealing with a scenario where there's there's someone and they have a list of all the things that they lack. Shortcomings, faults. And they read that list to themselves every night. Oh, missing the point. There's a way better list. What's the list? What's the better list, folks? Huh? Come on. What are your giftings? What are your what is your value? What are you good at? Read that list to yourself. Cuz that's more in line with your use. List of your shortcomings is like, well, why am I not like so and so? Why am I not taller? Who cares? We maybe you got to get to the point where you're you're tired and disgusted of those kind of questions. Why I'm not like everybody else? Rather than enjoying your design. Enjoy the mercy God has bestowed on you beforehand to give you your use, whatever it be. And then live in it, walk in it, learn to jog in it. How about run with it? At a speed no one else could run. Where people look at you and go, Wow, have, they, have you seen Fred? He so amazing what he does with the, the, and they start to have to battle with why they're not like as good as you in that one thing. That's how they'll learn. But it's healthy for you. Be as good as you can at the things God has designed for you to be good at. And enjoy your use. Out of joy rather than earning wages. This is a weird thing that Paul's done here. He's taken our exertion out of the equation. He's taken our accomplishments out of the equation. He's taken our works out of the equation and said, nah, none of that has value to God. Uh, when it comes to your salvation, it's His will, His grace. You can have faith in it, but uh, you're going to have to have hope in what He's going to do. And, all that. and then he twists it and says, but when you come to a true understanding of who God is and what He's done and how He's designing it, then now you can run in your works. You can run in your use. You can be a vessel and accomplish things. Not to earn your way, but to enjoy him and enjoy you that your life may be made full amen that's what he wants for you I pray that you'll know where to go with this because I can't have answers for anybody else than me but we can't understand what Paul did and what Paul, how Paul thinks about it, and help apply it to us as we walk. Amen. Father, we thank you for how it all works. We thank you mostly, Lord, that it all works. And we we trust, Lord, and and we we revel 
in the idea that you bestow your will on those whom you will. But Lord, we trust in you, we believe in you, and we ask that we be those that you work your will in. That be merciful on us. Lead us in our uses. Show us how to be vessels and bring us to a place where we experience glory. I pray, Lord, that we would be part of that remnant, that few. If you're if you're here this morning, you've never you've not experienced that. You've never asked for that. You've never started a relationship with the Lord. We want to help you. That's why we're here. Come up and see me after service. See anybody that's standing around looks important. Somebody on stage, but talk to somebody. Father, we thank you for all this. I trust you for your guidance. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.